Today, we're going to be reviving the dead. And what I mean by that is I recorded an episode maybe two weeks ago that was too short for Podcastle, the, um, the podcast distribution website that I use. So every time I would try to upload it, it would say, no, it was 19 minutes. Perhaps I didn't talk long enough, but I'm finally able to tackle it again. And it's actually a pretty interesting one. I don't know why I didn't have too much to say along with today's page eater prompt for you guys. I'm very excited. I feel like I, I, I have to lean in into the mic really close, like, so you guys can hear me. But I know that isn't the case because I did audio test. And I'm just a little nervous but today's question today's core question is if the story is told in the first person is the main character aware of the reader now if you are familiar with this podcast we talk about this a little bit more than i'd like to because i have a lot of things to talk about and this one just keeps popping back up the conversation that if we are the gods of our characters as writers and the stories we create, in a sense, we are the gods of the characters because we control every outcome, every thought, every desire, every level of their reality. Reality, reality is, is in here, it's in our heads. So if we extend that bridge, as to say, to our reality, you start seeing some parallels that might be fun, might not be too fun, depending on how open to the idea you are. With that being said, this is very, this is a classic idea of breaking the fourth wall. If you look at it through that lens of writers and creators and creations, that if you were to know that there's a reader, you're breaking the fourth wall. If a character, if Deadpool looks at the camera of the comic and says, whoa, Chumichanga, it's, it's, that's breaking the fourth wall. But as a mirror to that, us having an experience with God or speaking with God, uh, any one of the prophets of the Bible, it's weird to just say they were breaking the fourth wall, which may or may not be true, but that is, that's exactly what we're dealing with, is a character being aware of their reader. Now, in a less crazy philosophical sense, you could just say this is someone the character telling you, the reader, a story. If I were to tell you a story about uh, me hitting the barricade, driving home from work, that's a story where I know that you are consuming it. But because of the medium of writing, reading, and the characters themselves not being actual people, that's where the intrigue of the question comes up. And most of what we're going to be talking about today. I have a few different things lined up. So one of the main parts of the question is specifically taking into account first-person stories. First-person stories is I, me, my. When you talk about walking into a room, you say, I walked into a room. A third-person story, the other major type of writing style or writing point of view, if you ever hear me say POV, it's point of view, is third-person. Now, there's two types to that, omniscient and limited. But before we get too complicated, first person, third person. That's Those are the two major blocks that stories are told in when it comes to writing. It's very hard to do second person. So with first person, I mean my, that's 
one where you'll have uh, unreliable narrators. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird is a, is a story told in the first person. But when it comes down to it, you are following a specific character because the story is told from one point of view, the first person, the only person, the main character. Third person, if you've ever played Fortnite, is a game that's third person. It's away from the main character. You're not within the main character. And with that comes two types of third person limited, where you don't have full information on everyone else in the story. You only have information on your character or the one that you're following being the main character or the one witnessing the events. And then you have omniscient or unlimited where you have all the information regarding every character that the writer could or want to talk about. If you're following someone in the third person and it says their hand grabbed the baseball bat and walked out the door in a limited that would be it or you would be talking about how the character who grabbed the baseball bat is feeling very angry or sad or hurt or scared and an unlimited you would then be able to go over to their wife or their husband their friend who was over and was not ready for them to grab a baseball bat and talk about how they feel but if you want to talk about that character in a first or a third person limited you could only say what they do based off of what your character sees them do it's an information game the points of views are all information especially when it comes to telling the story that is the major difference between each point of view because in this it Third person limited and first person are very, very similar. The only difference is it feels like you're talking about someone else when it's third person limited. But in first person, it is a detailed account. You are a shadow within the main character's mind, just going along with the story, which can lead itself to very uh, tense and emotional beats where it feels like it's happening to you. You feel claustrophobic if your main character is trapped in an elevator. You feel like you're going to fall if your main character is climbing inside of a building. But if it's third person, it's not that you're right there with them. It's, oh no, I hope they don't get hurt. And from my experience and the people that I've talked to when it comes to uh, choosing what point of view your story is going to be in is all how they want to give out the information, but also how their minds naturally tell stories where I write in third-person omniscient. Just because I, one, like to hide information from my readers, where I could tell you what, let's say, Teresa's thinking about, but I don't want you to know what Johnny's thinking about. So I'm not going to tell you everyone's, but I'll give you some insight just to, just so you feel like you know everything, but you really don't. Where I have writing friends who only write in the first person because they don't, they don't get the point of writing their or they, or about someone else other than the main character, which is a very different view than I have, but still one that's very respectable. And the stories that they write are pretty funny. It's the writer's, it's really the writer's choice to decide how they want to give out that information, but because it's also ingrained in the point of view of how you're going to tell the story, there's fun ways to play around with the information. Where I, okay, so for example, in my story, Doppler House, it's third person omniscient, 
I'm able to jump between different point uh, perspectives of each character during certain scenes. And it's, it's a very, very free practice. And through that, I'm able to set up stakes by really making the reader feel like they're there and describing the things that maybe the main character doesn't see. The best example of why I like third person omniscient is, I don't know if you've ever heard of this or if I'm even getting it right and saying it, but Alfred Hitchcock's example of how to create tension within a story, the bomb under the table. I'm going to make a note of that real quick. And I don't know, I, I can't remember if I saw it as a video or there was some sort of movie or documentary talking about it, but the first time they showed the scene, it was two women talking at a table over coffee. And it was a five minute scene. There wasn't really any weight to it. It seemed oddly spaced out. And then the table exploded and they both died. That was the first example. Second example on how to build tension was the exact same scene. It's just the camera was moved down by a foot and under the table showed a timer connected to a bomb. And now there's suspense. There's a bomb that neither participant knows about, obviously, by how they're acting, by how they're talking. They don't even reference it at all. So they're unaware that the bomb is there. But as the reader or as the viewer in that sense, because, you know, Alfred Hitchcock was a director, we have information the characters don't which is a very useful tool in creating tension. It's pretty much the only way to create tension other than if you were in the first person um, point of view for a book or a movie or a story. Most games are first person, where if you're playing a first person shooter like Call of Duty, you're, you're in the eyes of the main character or the character that you're playing. Great way to look at it. But because you're able to lie to your own characters, you're able to give the reader more information that your characters know or less information than your characters know. And if I'm really going for it, I'll give out the wrong information. But those are on, only under like specific examples. I've started watching this show, uh, Kakigure, where it's a gambling anime. And one of the, it's not formulaic in the sense that the exact same thing happens. It's just that the main character who is this girl who just really likes gambling is so smart that she knows what she's doing the entire time, even though she's pretending like she doesn't. Because it's it's just a gambling game, that's all that's happening there. There's no fight scenes. There's no drama. Well, they certainly do insert some drama, but from a simple game of cards, what can you make interesting? The thing that they decide to do with her character is that she always knows more than the viewer. Always. There's never a second where you're like, oh my gosh, I know more than her. She doesn't know what she's going to do. She doesn't know what's about to happen. And even if you do feel like that, it's only to set you up for when they reveal that you actually don't know anything that's going on. She's had this plan down from the first little thing that you didn't even think was a part of her plan. She recorded the the conversation. She rigged the cards. She saw through the cheat. Whatever it may be, she knows what's going on. You do not. And you're just there for the ride. And it's a perfect example of how third-person omniscient can be very exciting. But by ignoring the full reign of 
the full view that third person omniscient gives you, you're limiting that to your reader who's used to getting all the information. And because you're going through this practice, you're utilizing their expectation against them, which might sound antagonistic and you're like you're trying to fight your reader, but you're, you know, in telling the story information and the rate at which you give it or what pieces that you give it are the main ways to build the tension and to build an intriguing story. Because you could just say, if you would take that scene of in the Kakaguri anime and explain her plan from the second it starts and the second she makes it, it's not an interesting show anymore. And it's not that you're watching for her explanation. You're watching to see how the hell she's going to beat her or how the hell she's going to win this one or if she's going to lose this one because she does lose some. So it's not it's not a situation where they're always going to win either. So you understand that there's a chance for them to lose. Okay, how are they going to get through this? And as the viewer, as the consumer, you're picturing yourself in this scenario. How the hell would I fare in this dilemma? And every time she goes through her this meticulous plan that she thought of this entire time, and she has amazing memory and can tell the difference of the weight of a gun by five kilograms since or not kilograms, but five grams. And it's like, ooh, it's crazy. Obviously, it's a character and every situation is completely fabricated and you don't need to be in that situation. There's no one who could actually do those things. But it makes you feel kind of dumb. And it's kind of the reason you like watching it, especially if you're like me and you like to analyze the entire structure of the plot and break down characters and really put yourself in the moment of whatever you're watching, whatever you're reading, the feeling of like, oh, I don't know what I would do, gives you that same sense of fear of the character supposedly has of, oh my gosh, what do I do? And of course you have the other characters there to kind of give that out to you of like, what's going on? Oh my gosh. And then the, the girl that you're watching, the main character is kind of just stone face and isn't giving you anything. It's it's a nice It's a nice balance of spoon feeding and then getting tossed in the deep end with information because sometimes you won't know what's going on until the game's already done and the villain's giving their final monologue of oh i've realized what you did and you're like well now i super don't know what's going on <laughs> because i don't even like this guy and they knew exactly what they were doing the entire time and I, i've been here for the exact same what's going on why is everyone else smarter than me and that's you're you're watching something to feel that which is crazy but i just saw this movie uh the boy and the heron it was um it's a ghibli movie it's the newest ghibli movie very very cool <laughs> i had a great time and it was my first uh studio ghibli movie and i definitely get what everyone means by the art and like the looks of everything but it was it was such a roller coaster of you think the movie's going to be boring as hell, and then, like, the 20-minute marker pops up, and it is just pure phantasm and spectacle and just moments that really make you think and kind of suck you into the world that they don't even know what it is. And then you figure out it's about time travel. Halfway through. It's crazy. But The Boy and the Heron is, by and large, an example of first-person where you're following the main character the entire time. There's not a point where you're not. There's a lot of questions of other characters' motivations throughout the story, especially the stepmothers, which is the sister of the child's original mother who died in a fire or something. Because we have questions of the other characters that 
the main character also has. Whatever happens to them, it feels like it's happening to you. You feel a connection to the main character without them even needing to do anything. There's an expression in writing that if you want your audience to like a character, have them pet a cat. If you want them to hate their character, have them kick a dog. That doesn't even apply anymore because we're following the main character. You know, we have questions about them. Uh, this young boy whose name I, I can't remember. But you also, you know, why the hell did she just walk into the woods when she's really sick? Who's this chick that can control fire? Why is the heron talking to me? And why does it have like these huge sets of teeth? What's going on with the uh, the tower in the woods? What's up with this old man wizard? It, it takes a lot of the fluff out of, especially in writing, you don't need to add uh, copious amounts of detail into everything. Not Don't need is kind of a strong word, but you don't have to because of the first person, the nature of a first person story. You don't need to know. You just need to know what the what your main character knows. And I think I've went into the, the system of information that uh, enough. If you want, I, I love going to the movies. This is why all my examples are of movies. I just saw the Trolls movie, the newest one. And it's an example of third person omniscient. Yeah, you bounce back and forth between characters all the time. And it's a kid's movie. So you want to keep the uh, mental gymnastics down to a minimum, which I totally get. And you just want to give out the uh the story beats and the motivations and the feelings and all that by and large it was a good movie but i feel like the standards of it, you have to go into it expecting that it's gonna be a kid's movie so that you don't like claw your eyes out but whatever we're you're following the two main characters which are like the dark troll and then the girl troll don't know their names and you're following them on this adventure to save the guy's brother who got trapped and apparently has like a ton of other brothers and then they have to go find each one and then they have to go back to the one that's prisoned and then save them and run away and all that stuff. But through the story, you get a first person point of view to each character and what they're feeling and how they feel about the situation. You're constantly going back to the brother that's imprisoned how things are faring there what are the villains up to how do they feel the you find out that of the two villains a brother and a sister the brother actually doesn't isn't that bad of a dude is just following the sister because he feels like he has to because of there's a big theme of family uh obviously because like they the brothers show up and then oh you gotta do stuff for your family yada yada but to kind of reflect that message, which I thought was very a mature move to put in a kid's movie, the main villains, the brother and the sister, reflect that. They, they are the inverse of that idea that you have to do everything to save your family. Because of how controlling and toxic the sister is, the brother is kind of enslaved to her because of his need to... Or because he feels he needs to follow her and support her through anything and do anything for them even though they're a horrible and malicious person that is literally sucking the life out of the trolls like big brother to gain talent because they don't have any it's a very it's 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 not bad of, it's not that bad of a movie but you get the point with the povs we can move past the povs the other parts of this question where 
Yes, because if you don't, if you remember that we started this off with the question of if a first-person character is in a story, are they aware of the reader? Now, I would argue if we're going to go all deep ex- existential philosophical on this, that we are living a first-person life. And when we have an out-of-body experience, that's the closest thing you could attribute to it, being in the third person. But taking in the writers and gods theory, if we're living in the first person, do we know that our creator is there? Is that what faith is? And although I don't have the answers to those questions, I will say it would be the funniest thing in the world to be reading a book that's in the first person and picturing mentally that you're sitting down at like a bar or a restaurant and talking to your main characters. I I would love to think that that's what I would do. I, I, I want to do that, and I don't, which sucks, but everyone has their own inherent way of reading a story and what goes on in their head and how they picture the story and all that. But if you don't have an imagination like that, I think that would be, it would be interesting to learn that if people actually do that, where instead of being in the setting of a story, your mental is that the character is telling you the story, which is completely plausible and doable because of the language used, I, me, my, it's just like someone else is telling you a story. So the the vocabulary would line up. You wouldn't need to be like, oh yeah, and then. I'm going to tell you the the exact point of view of someone else, even though there's no way I would ever be able to know that. It's just them. And the book itself would be the exact same as a retelling of the story if you were to go and just like hang out with the main character. So it's it's always an option. It's something I put in the core question itself is that it's an option. It's totally an option if you want to do that. It's also an option to just pretend you're like a JoJo stan and you're always following the main character and you're kind of like the other half. You're like the person in the other person's mind. If you ever heard of that theory, that's also something that could line up. That there's like another you trapped within you that can't do anything um, to like change your outcome or change your behavior. Which if you think about uh, observers or listeners or readers, it's kind of like how that is. Or the only thing you can do is watch and you can't really influence what's going on in the story just for some food for thought. And while we're talking about food for thought, I have another page eater prompt for you guys that I think is the best one yet. Teresa is a girl who's being haunted. Through a series of hints and clues and discoveries, she realized that the ghost has a crush on her. And while this is weird in its own sense, things get interesting when she is struck by a truck and murdered and now she's able to meet her ghastly admirer this i've asked if i always ask people that are within my circle of like writers and uh, filmographers where do you think this story's gonna go if i give them the prompt and they and i'm like what do you think what's your what's your initial thought on what could happen here every single one they've given me is different Every single one has a different genre, has a different point of view, has a different outcome, has a different reaction of Teresa and the ghost itself. So I'm very excited to see see what you guys come up with. 
And for every, for, well, not for every, but for all of my page reader prompts that I give out to you guys, there's always a corresponding video over on TikTok if you want to enter the competition, as it were. And if you stitch to the video and you present either your writing, your art, if you draw or paint or anything like that, I don't know how you would do it for photography, but bottom line is whatever your art medium is, stitch it there. I'll announce a winner on the next week's podcast. Uh, this is coming out Monday, so next Monday it'll be announced. And whoever does win, so if it's writing, I re I'll read it on the podcast. If it's a picture or a painting, uh, we'll both talk about it on the podcast and post it onto my Instagram. Full credit, I'll shout out your uh, usernames and everything there. And it's just a fun way to, you know, get active in the community, I guess. Show everyone what you got and what you can make out of the page of prompts, especially if you've been dealing with writer's block. I have a little bit of that going on right now. I had to start looking over some of my uh, my own content for advice that I'd give to people because it's always easy to tell someone how you do something, but it's kind of hard when it's happening to you. I hope everyone has fun with Teresa. I know I wrote a little bit of a, a through line and it's it's been fun, but the biggest difference, I think, is if you make it romantic or scary, you know, like an obsessor, like an obsessive stalker vibe because it's a ghost or it's actually like a nice, cute rom-com Twilight meets paranormal activity kind of thing. But it is time for news. Everyone's favorite time. There's a lot of changes going on with the socials, with the format of this podcast, with how everything's being put out. And I want you to guys to know, very, very grateful for your uh, support because things have been getting a little confusing. But I want to clear everything up just really quick. If you go into the description of this video on YouTube, you'll find a link tree for all of the Eat the Blank page brand socials. I've split up my personal work and my personal one with eat the blank page because you know the vibe's different the all the content is different and it doesn't really match up with the kind of writing and the kind of things i want to put out over on victor of stories because that's all horror and dark and disturbing and next existential crises and here is all inspiration uplifting and feel good kind of stuff and i didn't feel that they were of the same brand so i made two different ones and now there's two different Instagrams and TikToks. But the Twitter is something that I've kind of collabed where it's Victor Productions. It's it's both. So you don't need to follow a new Twitter at all. But there will be new socials for the TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. And if you go there, that's where it's going to be. It's, not, it's no longer going to be on Victor o Stories. There will be my personal writing, updates about the book, and any other fun things I want to try to do with uh, the community. I have a lot of fun horror and uh, existential ideas to get out to everyone that I'm actually really excited for. But the schedules are different, and I'm going to be putting out a lot more content for everyone, which is, you know, exciting for me because I do like to make things for you guys, and I like that you guys like it. But that about wraps it up for today's episode. It's, it's weird talking about a topic twice because I don't know if I've answered everything I wanted to answer, but I also can't think of anything else that I really want to touch on. But I hope everyone's liked this new face cam so you can actually see my 
magnificent beard and these cool headphones that I got. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, hope everyone has a wonderful day, and thank you very much for joining me on this episode of Eat the Blank Page. And, uh, yeah, goodbye. <laughs>